Psalm chapter 51, verses 10 to 17. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me, within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, O God, will not despise. Hi, church. I'm really excited. At this morning, uh, we have Dr. Randy Wolf with us. He's the director of Axe World Campus, associate professor of leadership studies and practical theology, and the associate dean of MB Seminary at Axe Seminaries at uh, Trinity Western University. And some of my favorite classes at uh, Axe Seminaries were in the CLD or the Christian Leadership Development Track, and both Pastor Howard and I have had the privilege to sit under his teaching. Uh, he, he has a few uh, publications, uh, books like Maximum Discipleship in the Church and Navigating Church Politics, which both are available uh, through Kindle and Amazon. Uh, Randy's married to his wife, Lore, have four children together. And also, I know he co commonly refers to his family as the Wolf Pack uh, because his last name is Wolf. Uh, he's an avid runner, loves to travel and uh, to play in God's beautiful creation. Uh, the title of the sermon uh, this morning is Suffering and Brokenness, Pathways to Living Authentically. Dr. Wolf has taken the time to record his sermon uh, beforehand at Acts Seminaries. I'm going to play that for us uh, this morning. Uh, at the end of the first two parts, uh, just to give a little bit of uh, explanation here, instruction, he has some discussion and reflection questions prepared. Uh, we're going to leave a bit of time for you uh, to reflect and to maybe discuss with the people that you're watching with. Uh, we'll also post the questions up uh, in our chat as well, uh, just for you uh, to refer to. Uh, if you have a journal with you, maybe you want to write down those questions and journal on the side if that's uh, the way that you reflect. Uh, we figured this will be easier instead of breaking everyone up uh, this morning because I know people are coming in from different places and not everyone has a mic and, and whatnot. Uh, so I can look out for those questions at the end uh, and then we'll guide you through. There's a short timer, just two minutes in between, and then we'll play the next uh, part for you. Uh, so I'm pretty sure uh, Dr. Randy Wolf is with us. So let's give our best LLC virtual welcome to him. Uh, maybe you want to click an emoji, you want to clap your hands, I don't know what it is, <laughs> but we're going to play uh, the part one uh, of uh, the sermon this morning. Welcome, Dr. Randy Wolf. I bring you greetings, Lord's Love Church from Axe Seminaries, where I have the privilege of teaching and directing the Axe World Campus Online Seminary. Some of you may recall that the seminary, through Ministry Lift, facilitated a day of small group ministry training at your church in 2016. Keith Reed and I thoroughly enjoyed our time with you at that event. Well, special thanks to Pastor Doug, one of my beloved former students, for inviting me to preach. We're going to be looking at suffering and brokenness pathways to living authentically. We all love suffering and brokenness, right? 
<laughs> Have you ever noticed that our society has an aversion to pain? And if you're like me, you do too. We medicate against it. We'll go to great lengths to avoid it or at least lessen it. We even try to distract ourselves so that we feel less pain. Confession time. My dentist's office has a television mounted in the ceiling above every one of their patient chairs. It's one of the main reasons I've been going to them for 20 years. They can clean or fix my teeth while I'm distracted from the pain they're inflicted on me. It's great. Several years ago, our family went on our usual 5,000-kilometer summer road trip to Alberta and Saskatchewan to visit family. While staying with my wife's parents, I asked my father-in-law, a self-taught mechanic, whether he would be interested in fixing an oil leak on our van. He looked at me and said, No, but I'll supervise you while you fix it. I'm sure I had a look of horror on my face as I responded, Okay. So the big day came. We started taking pieces off to get to the cam seals. And of course, while we were at it, the timing belt, because once you get that far, you might as well keep going. After a full day of taking things apart, we got to the right spot and put in new seals and the belt. I was pretty pumped until I looked at my father-in-law's workbench that was filled with parts that somehow had to get back into our van. My anxiety level began to skyrocket as I realized that I wasn't sure how everything was supposed to go back together. Life is sometimes like that workbench, strewn with various pieces that we're supposed to somehow put together, yet we don't know how. Life can be confusing, complex, chaotic. How's this all going to work out? Let me tell you, I was so glad that my father-in-law was there to supervise and help me put our van back together. And you know what? We did it. I'm also very thankful for our Heavenly Father, who specializes in managing what looks like chaos to us, helping us chart a path forward as we trust Him. Well, that summer holiday of learning some important life lessons wasn't over yet. On one of our hot travel days, we had the brilliant idea of stopping at a water slide and enjoying some family fun. One of our first stops at the water park was the Valley of fear. Imagine a large U-shaped kind of water slide where you start at the top of one side in a two-person boat and go careening down and up and down and up and down until your boat stops at the bottom. Well, as we stood in line, we began to see some mishaps, but my kids assured me that everything would be just fine, Dad. Well, we get to the top and it's our turn. I climb into the boat and the lifeguard shouts three instructions. Hold on to the sides, keep your backside up, and tuck in your chin. And then before these commands could even register, we're hurtling down the slide. Now, the whole time, I'm trying to remember those all-important commands. Number one, uh, hold on to the sides. Okay, no problem with that one. I was holding on for dear life. What was number two? Oh, yeah, yeah, keep your backside up. Check. At that point, the deep thinking part of me is asking, so why is that anyway? I get the holding on, well, anyway, at that point, I start to panic because I realize that there was a third command, but I can't remember what it was. It was something about, bam, <laughs> too late. We hit the bottom of the valley of fear and jolted up the other side. Now, what happens when you're moving fast in one direction and then suddenly move fast in another direction? 
Well, nothing if your chin is neatly tucked into your chest. Ah, that was the third command. Failure to remember that little instruction resulted in whiplash. I was done for the day and, in fact, had neck issues for several months. What did my kids say said as we lined up for the Valley of Fear? Something about, everything will just be fine, Dad. <laughs> just like my experience on the water slide that day, life can sometimes throw us a completely unexpected jolt, like a medical emergency, the loss of a job, hurtful comments from a friend, a global pandemic. We're going in one direction and all of a sudden, life jerks us in a different direction. Perhaps we begin to experience a type of emotional whiplash. Life's jolts can do that. Well, that summer holiday wasn't done with me yet. The last day, we're driving through the mountains on a remote stretch of road when I hear a loud pounding noise coming from the engine. I pull over, open the hood, and discover that the belt that drives some pretty important parts, like the alternator, was severely frayed, and part of the frayed part had been whipping against the engine, making the pounding noise. We were probably 40 kilometers from the nearest town. After praying and discussing what to do, I cut off the frayed part of the belt, and fortunately, we managed to make it to the next town where I was able to purchase a new belt. Sometimes I, and perhaps you as well, feel like that engine belt. We feel frayed. We've got one nerve left and everyone seems to be getting on it. We may not even be able to pinpoint the source of our emotional fatigue, but it's real and we're just limping along, hoping to find relief somehow, somewhere. All three of these stories point to some of life's challenges. If the truth be told, we sometimes try to simplify or minimize life's complexities. We try to force order on chaos. We make assumptions to clear away confusion. As we encounter life's jolts, we may be tempted to deny what's happening, to cover over our pain, to distract ourselves from the surgery that God wants to do amidst life's challenges. As we experience emotional fatigue, we might try to prop ourselves up with stimulants, products, activities that give us a momentary buzz, but fail to provide lasting relief. Let me suggest that there's a better way. God intends for us to grow through our hardships, to experience a healthy kind of brokenness. Suffering and brokenness is a difficult pathway to follow but I believe it can lead to a deeper authenticity that affects our relationship with God, others, and ourselves. Peter Schizero has said, mature spiritual leadership is forged in the crucible of difficult conversations, the pressure of conflicted relationships, the pain of setbacks, and dark nights of the soul. The School of Hard Knocks has a way of teaching us deep lessons if we're willing to listen and learn. Take a moment right now to reflect or to share, if you're watching this with others, some of the challenges you are facing right now. How is God using them or how might he use them to shape your character?
Let me pose an idea. Suffering, pain, and brokenness are necessary for stripping away what is undesirable in our lives and nudging us toward what is good and authentic. When I think about the word authentic, I think of something or someone who is genuine, real. As those made in the image of God, our true authentic self is the image of God in us and who he has designed us to be and what he has created us to do. So as we get rid of sin and put on righteousness, as we increasingly pattern our lives after Christ, and as we live out his calling on our lives, using the gifts and abilities he has entrusted to us for his glory, we live authentically. I remember talking with a Christian leader one time about the importance of brokenness. He said that he would not even consider hiring someone for a senior leadership position who hadn't been through a time of deep brokenness. His belief was that God does his deep heart work, the shaping of our characters during life's challenges when we come to the end of ourselves and fall completely into the loving arms of our almighty shepherd. A number of years ago, I was recommended by a search committee and church board to become the next lead pastor of the church where I had served as an associate for several years. My wife and I had prayed much about letting my name stand for the position and sensed that God wanted me to do so. We needed an affirmative vote of 85% by the congregational members. We didn't quite make it. We got 83.6. Well, we were devastated. Most of the church felt the same way. What should we do next? A dear friend from the church came up to me one night, not too long after the vote, and simply said this, wait on the Lord, Randy, wait on the Lord. It was good advice. As we waited, we began to see God unfold his incredible new plan for us. We continued to minister at the church for a year and a half while the church looked for and eventually found a new lead pastor. We had wonderful ministry opportunities during that season as we served the congregation out of a place of brokenness. I felt incredible freedom to preach, teach, and mentor from the heart. The painful experience of not getting the lead pastor position had stripped away some of my pride. I was able to live and serve with greater authenticity. During that year and a half of serving and waiting on the Lord, we felt him leading us into church planting. After finishing at the church, I also started teaching part-time at Trinity Western University and eventually became a full-time professor at Acts Seminaries. It's amazing to see how God worked through a huge disappointment in our lives. Psalm 27:14 says this, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Now, the challenge is not necessarily going out and finding difficulties. They tend to find us. The challenge is responding well to the difficulties that come our way. So how do we respond well to life's challenges? In Hebrews 12, 7, the writer of Hebrews encourages us to endure hardship as discipline. Now, it's important to recognize that the writer is not saying that all hardship is God disciplining us. He's simply asking us to view it in that way, to see difficulty as an opportunity to learn and grow. Now, I like to golf. I'm not the best golfer in the world, a fact that was clearly demonstrated during one of our annual Wolf Golf tournaments. One of the tee-offs 
had foot-high hedges that stretched for about 20 feet along either side. I promptly drove my first ball into one of those hedges. That was embarrassing, but those ball-sucking hedges were not done with me yet. I drove five balls into their clutches. As I went to retrieve my fifth ball, now lying ten shots and not even off the tee-off, my dad and brother overheard me muttering, What is God trying to teach me? Even though I can't remember how deeply I was pondering the question at the time, it's not a bad question to ask both on and off the golf course. The writer of Hebrews goes on to talk about our loving Father who disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. Did you catch that? God disciplines us to help us become more holy, one of our most important pursuits as Christians. Yet discipline is often painful, hard, and downright unpleasant. But for those who have been trained by the discipline, the passage says, it can produce a harvest of righteousness and peace. As we respond well to the discipline and allow it to shape us, we develop our authentic self, the real you and the real me in Christ. You see, we're trained by life when we humbly respond to both painful and pleasant circumstances and earnestly seek to learn and apply God's lessons from both. What is God trying to teach me? Answering this question often requires prayerful processing, guided by Scripture, the Holy Spirit, and the wisdom of supportive confidants. It also requires humility, a brokenness of spirit, where we recognize our sinfulness and our inability to produce righteousness on our own. We desperately need God. David says in his prayer in Psalm 51, 16 to 17, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Isaiah expresses this kind of healthy, God-honoring brokenness in this way. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things, and so they came into being, declares the Lord? This is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. In her book, Brokenness, Nancy Lee DeMoss says that brokenness is the shattering of our self-will, the stripping away of self-reliance, the softening of the soil of our hearts. She goes on to compare proud and broken people. I'd like to share some of these comparisons with you. After each comparison, I'll pause for just a moment to give you an opportunity to respond in your heart to what God might be saying to you. Give thanks for what God is doing in your life. If necessary, take time to confess areas of sin. Even though it may be tempting to think of others as we do this exercise, I'd encourage us to allow God's Spirit to search our hearts. Okay, here we go. Proud people focus on the failures of others. Broken people are overwhelmed with a sense of their own spiritual need. Proud people have a critical fault-finding spirit, 
They look at everyone else's faults with a microscope, but their own with a telescope. Broken people are compassionate. They can forgive much because they know how much they have been forgiven. Proud people are self-righteous. They look down on others. Broken people esteem all others better than themselves. Proud people have an independent, self-sufficient spirit. Broken people have a dependent spirit. They recognize their need for others. Proud people have to prove that they are right. Broken people are willing to yield the right to be right. Proud people claim rights. They have a demanding spirit. Broken people yield their rights. They have a meek spirit. Proud people are self-protective of their time, their rights, and their reputation. Broken people are self-denying. Proud people desire to be served. Broken people are motivated to serve others. Proud people desire to be a success. Broken people are motivated to be faithful and to make others a success. Proud people desire self-advancement. Broken people desire to promote others. Proud people have a drive to be recognized and appreciated, whereas broken people, they have a sense of their own unworthiness. They are thrilled that God would use them at all. Proud people are wounded when others are promoted and they are overlooked. Broken people are eager for others to get the credit. They rejoice when others are lifted up. Proud people have this subconscious feeling. This ministry, church, is privileged to have me and my gifts. They think of what they can do for God. Broken people's hard attitude is, I don't deserve to have a part in any ministry. They know that they have nothing to offer God except the life of Jesus flowing through their broken lives. Proud people feel confident in how much they know. Broken people are humbled by how very much they have to learn. Proud people are self-conscious. Broken people are not concerned with self at all. Proud people keep others at arm's length. Broken people are willing to risk getting close to others and to take risks of loving intimately. Well, if you're like me, you still have pride in your life. Thankfully, God is a forgiving God and is more than able to help us experience greater humility and brokenness as we acknowledge our sinfulness and strive in His strength to put on the righteousness of Christ. Take a moment right now to reflect on this question. What did God show you about pride and brokenness in your own life?
James encourages us in James 1, 2 to 4 to consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What James is telling us is that we can experience a deep joy even amidst suffering because we know that the testing of our faith produces endurance provided, and here I'm going back to the Hebrews 12 passage, that we allow ourselves to be trained by it. This leads to spiritual maturity. So what does it mean to have pure joy? It's a deep joy that comes from the heart. It's not a superficial happiness. It's the fruit of an abiding relationship with the Lord. We have nothing to fear because God is with us. You see, trials test us and develop this persevering faith. As a seminary professor, I sometimes view them as God's assignments for us, an opportunity for us to work out biblical truths in real life. Of course, these trials are often unexpected. The Greek word for face in the James passage means to fall into and is the same word used when the man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho fell into the hands of robbers. Life's challenges often come when we least expect them. So how can we be joyful in times of trial anyway? We know that our loving, sovereign, all-wise God is working out His good purposes. He's faithful in the good and the bad that we encounter in life. You see, our view of God has a huge impact on how we view trials and the rest of life. If we truly believe, deep down, that God loves us, we know that He, as our loving companion in life, will support and guide us as we face difficulties. If we really know God as sovereign and good, we'll have a firm belief that He will cause all things to work together for good to those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. When we worship God as wise, we'll be in a better place to accept that His ways are higher than our ways and that even if we don't understand what's happening and why, God does. In His infinite wisdom, He's working out His ultimate plans. We also know from the James passage that trials can produce perseverance. So why is perseverance so important in the Christian life? I like to run. Now, when I started running seriously 10 years ago, I could have just done a few little jogs and moved on to something else. But I chose to persist. Those little jogs became longer jogs that I did regularly three to five times a week. Because I persevered, my muscles, especially my heart muscle, grew stronger. The same is true of our faith muscle. As we persevere in life's training, which is often accompanied by challenges, we'll experience a strengthening of our faith. I'm told that the Russian space program in its early days ran into problems because their cosmonauts would experience muscular atrophy in space. So how did the scientists solve the problem? They designed special suits that restricted the movements of the cosmonauts so that their muscles had resistance and could stay healthy. Even as this resistance helped the cosmonauts develop their muscles in zero gravity, so too resistance in life helps us develop our faith muscles. Of course, there are other ways besides difficulties that can help us grow our faith. Yet it would seem that growth is often accelerated during trying times. 
I once read that Caribbean pine trees routinely withstand fierce hurricanes, long periods of drought, and even fire. But one thing they cannot tolerate is cultivation. In a well-kept yard with plenty of water and fertilizer, they often die. Hardship helps them to thrive. We see in 1 Peter 1, 3-7 that Peter shares the same view as James. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In this passage, Peter gives us at least two great reasons why we can rejoice when we encounter trials. The first one is that we can rejoice in all circumstances because of the incredible hope we have in Christ. No hardship, conflict, challenge, not even a pandemic, no person or circumstance can undermine our eternal inheritance in Christ. It is secure. We already know the end of the movie, and it's a very good ending. It sure is a lot easier to experience joy when we know that when we die, Jesus will welcome us into our eternal home with him. The second reason we can rejoice is because of the refining work that God delights to do through challenging times. Trials can purify our faith. As we partner with the Holy Spirit in this refining process, our faith becomes more genuine, more authentic. This has huge implications for our lives here and now. As our faith grows stronger, we're better able to follow God wherever he leads, to increasingly view daily events from God's perspective, to walk through life with a greater capacity to love and serve others, and to live authentically as God's little children. Paul offers a jolting perspective shifter in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Now get this. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Wow! Our light and momentary troubles seem pretty heavy and forever in the moment. Yet in light of eternity, an eternity that, that is influenced by our willingness to undergo refinement for God's glory, we can view life's challenges differently. The good they can produce right now and in the future to the extent that we are refined and trained by them far outweighs the pain that they inflict on us and those around us. As Helen Keller testified, character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened 
vision cleared, ambition inspired, and success achieved. Charles Spurgeon once said, all our infirmities, our sicknesses, whatever they are, are just opportunities for God to display his gracious work in us. Years ago, I remember hearing a pastor who was visiting Canada from a country where Christians were severely persecuted for their faith. He said to us, some of you have been praying for the persecution of Christians to stop in my country. At that point, I anticipated a heartfelt thank you. Instead, he said, please stop. Wow, now he really had my attention. The pastor continued, you see, Persecution has purified the Christians and the church in my country. Because this has given the church life and vibrancy, we don't want the suffering to stop. I couldn't believe what I had just heard. It took me a while, but over the years, I've begun to understand something of the importance of suffering for purifying our faith, for helping us live authentic lives in and for Christ. Let me suggest some ways that we can respond well to suffering, to allow it to shape us into authentic followers of Jesus. The first one is to acknowledge our pain. We do ourselves and the people around us a terrible disservice by trying to ignore, minimize, or spiritualize away the pain we experience. Sometimes in our sincere attempts to be people of faith, we try to cover over our pain with biblical truths. Yes, we believe that God is sovereignly working out his good purposes. We believe that he is faithful and will provide all that we need to persevere. Yet when we use these kinds of beliefs to dismiss our pain or make it seem unspiritual, we risk missing out on the deep heart work that God can do in the midst of pain. Another way to respond well to suffering is to practice reflective rest. Taking a Sabbath day each week where we slow down, focus on God, and engage in life-giving activities provides space for us to feel and to process what's happening in our lives. It allows God's Spirit to go deeper with the lessons He wants to teach us through life's bumps, hills, and mountains. Practicing life-giving Sabbath also sets a tone of God-oriented restfulness for the rest of the week, which has many benefits, including being able to process life with God as it happens. Prayer is so important. As we pray through our challenges, we experience God's peace. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You notice how Paul adds thanksgiving to the prayer mix? You see, when we practice thanksgiving as an integral part of our prayer lives, it constantly forces us to see God and his blessings in and around our difficulties. I'll sometimes pray a dangerous prayer that goes like this. Lord, I place myself on your operating altar. Please do the deep surgery you want to do in my life. It's not the kind of prayer that you want to pray lightly because sometimes the surgery is painful. God's word is so powerful. 
I can still vividly remember when our firstborn son was in the hospital with spinal meningitis. For two days, we didn't know what would happen. We clung to God and His promises. In this situation, God chose to heal our oldest son, who is now a healthy young man in his 20s. What if he would have died? In the midst of the terrible pain, would we have been able to respond like Job after losing his children and much of his wealth? Job 1, 20-21 describes his response. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I, have, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Job obviously had some strong beliefs about God. Allowing Scripture to shape our thoughts about God and our worship of Him allows us to see our struggles more from God's perspective. Claiming God's promises empowers us to persist and to even experience a deep-seated inner joy and peace during the earthquakes and pandemics of life. The final way that I'll mention that we can respond to suffering is to share our pain with others. We need to let others see and enter our pain. Sharing our pain lightens our load. It also gives the other person an opportunity to pray for us, support us in tangible ways, and perhaps, when the time is right, ask us good questions that help us process our pain in healthier ways. Sharing our pain is one of the hardest and best expressions of authenticity. In our vulnerability, we lose pretense and pride and humbly acknowledge our need for the other person. As we take off the masks that we so adeptly wear to project that we have it all together, we open the door to deeper, more authentic relationships. Suffering. It's an important contributor to brokenness, a deep-seated humility and dependence on God that allows our true, authentic self in Christ to emerge and grow. From this place of God-oriented brokenness, we can experience God and others in deeper ways to truly love even as we drink more deeply of the infinite love of God and to increasingly live and serve as His image bearers, reflecting Him everywhere we go for His glory. I'd like to pray for you, Lord's Love Church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Lord's Love Church. Thank you for their leadership and for every person that counts this church as their home church. Father, I pray a special blessing on them. Thank you that they have this desire to live authentically. And God, I pray that you would help them in this desire. Father, I pray that even as we've looked at brokenness, suffering, Lord, that, that you would show people where they need to Partner with your Holy Spirit in the deeper work that you want to do in their lives so that they can be more authentic, so that they can love you more and love others more and even love themselves more. And so, God, I pray that you would, in Jesus' name, help them, give them strength, and bless them. And we pray this in his name. Amen.